Welcome to Taboo and Murder. Please rate, subscribe, review, all those good things on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Ashley, the host of Taboo and Murder. Periods. We know what they are. It's uterine lining making its way out. Always a party, like the tampon commercials show. We, in the Western world, in 2018, are not sending menstruating women to tents to keep their filth to themselves. But we certainly have not embraced the period. It may sound trivial, and I can hear a certain type of person already saying, geez, these feminists are just looking for anything and everything to bitch about. Maybe... But separate from that is the fact that having a period has grave consequences for girls and women around the world. So, bear with me. I'll show my work, but here's the taboo statement for the episode. Until menstruating women have access to free hygienic products, there will be no true gender equality. Bold statement, right? Let's talk. And one note. I hate saying feminine hygiene products because I understand that some people that menstruate may not um, identify as uh, female, Um, but that's what they're called, is feminine hygiene products. So I'm not going to tackle that taboo right now, and I'm just going to call them feminine hygiene products. So let's start with some light pop culture references for perspective. On Orange is the New Black, lack of access to feminine feminine hygiene products is a theme in illustrating the abusive power dynamic between inmates and guards. It also shows that they are currency and they can be used for many different things. Um, For my research, this is a pretty accurate portrayal of the prison system. In an episode of Grey's Anatomy, several horrible aspects of the criminal justice system are exposed, like having a pregnant woman in shackles while delivering a baby, and also the lack of access to sanitary products. They do cover the lack of funds being an issue. This, too, is an accurate portrayal based on my research. Lack of funding and abuse of power create a feminine hygiene shortage in prison. So, in both these references, we see the power of the pad, the vagina, while it rules the world from decision-making, creating life, governance of it, access to it without being tossed in jail, the vagina plays a big part in life. But you wouldn't know. Unless we're talking about the President of the United States grabbing a woman by the pussy, the vagina doesn't get much airtime. Now, the penis rules the world too. We all know these stories. The penis is the conqueror and the vagina is to be conquered. And yet, all things vagina remain taboo. As I've been working on episodes like miscarriage and female masturbation, it dawned on me. The reason that society has the rule to wait until week 13 to tell people of a pregnancy, the reasons we don't discuss masturbation as women, there's absolutely no place in society for vagina conversations. I'm too young to have gone to a vagina monologue, so maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, I feel I need to address the simple organ that is so taboo before I address any taboos associated with said organ. So, this episode will be heavy on the vagina talk and light on the historical facts. But, let's get a little context before I attempt my own vagina monologue. Oh my god, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that. Okay, now I'm a little flustered about the impromptu monologue I just assigned myself. I'll be fine. I rock under pressure. Okay context. Historically, 13, creepy I know, 13 is the age which marked 
marked the end of youth. That's when people were only living until like their mid 30s at best. So historically, 13 is the age which marked the end of youth. There are multiple rites of passage to show this through multiple different cultures. A lot of them are religious based and they don't interest me in the slightest. But check out Baham Bar Mitzvahs for one example. So at 13, a boy becomes a man. In puberty, a boy transforms, gets taller, bigger, hairier. His voice drops. The boy becomes more well-established in the world. He becomes entitled to a certain place in society. Not my rules, ladies. Just calling it like I see it. Now, contrast that with a girl entering puberty. She starts to get breasts with that unwanted attention from men and some women, probably. She's self-conscious. Thanks, society. She gets her period. Hopefully she gets her period for the first time in the comfort of her home. If she gets her period out of the home, she's most certainly going to feel some embarrassment or shame. And why? Because her body did what it was supposed to do? In India, one of the most densely populated countries in the world, 23% of girls drop out of school when they hit puberty. 23%. 1 million people. Let's say half of those are women, so 500,000. Let's say a quarter of that. And even round down. So let's just say 100,000. Is that right? Did I do my quick math? Dax Shepard, you need to check me on this. But it's crazy. That's a lot a lot of people that are not going to school. Oh, million. Yeah, it'd be million still. Anyway, don't trust my quick math. I've had some wine. Okay. So, of course... In India, like I said, 23% of girls drop out of school when they hit puberty. Um, I selected India as an example because there are several studies in India by NGOs and they're doing a lot of work to try to change that. Um, Information in Kenya and China and some other areas is just a lot more murky. Now, of course, class plays a huge role in this uh, statistic in India. Access to feminine hygiene products is scarce among lower-income populations and oppressed populations, as mentioned in the prison system. Quoting from a Time magazine article, Periods at Work from 2016, You may have heard of the recent news that a British company just instituted a policy allowing female employees to take days off of their period. On their periods. But this isn't the first time that an establishment has created a policy designed for menstruating women. Probably one of the first treaties that was published around this theme was called Sex and Education or A Fair Chance for Girls, written by a physician named Edward Clark in 1873. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So, A History of Menstrual Hygiene Technology. He said women need to obey the law of periodicity curiosity, oh my god, which pretty much meant they needed to remove themselves from school and take a break during their period. Hard fucking nope, dude. The fact that women menstruated was used as a reason to keep them from entering the workforce in large numbers, says Vistral. In the late 19th century and earlier 20th century, it was very much about maintaining segregated workspaces and keeping women second-class citizens. No fucking shit. Not much has changed. Of course, the women who couldn't afford not to work, poor women, often minorities, still showed up to their jobs, even when they were on their periods. Because, of course, survival. 
Later, during the 1930s, executives at Metropolitan Life Insurance launched a study on absenteeism after noticing that many of its secretaries and typists were missing work regularly. That sentence just fucking pisses me off. Of course they were just secretaries and typists and the ones getting all the shit done and then they notice, why aren't they here? Back to the quote. The conclusion of their research, women were calling in sick when they had their periods. They decided to start up a health campaign at the company, says Vistral. They hired women doctors to teach female employees how to do exercises, stretches, breathing techniques, and more, all designed to minimize period-related ailments that could cause them to miss work. Of course, the motive is to just get them back to producing. We don't really give a fuck about the health of the woman. We never have. If women were coerced or had to do it, it was unclear, but Metropolitan Life reported more women were able to stay at work after they taught women how to not be sick, says Vistral. Then during World War II, when women were employed in larger numbers, working through cramps and discomfort became a sign of patriotism. There were posters up about reducing absenteeism, says Vistral. Despite this messaging, not everyone welcomed the idea of women working during their periods around this time. Women air service pilots, WASPs, that has a different meaning, were actually prohibited from flying when they were menstruating because there was thought to be a fatal risk of fainting while in the cockpit. Jesus Christ. World War II? God, we're stupid. They were supposed to check into the physician to tell them when they had their period, says Vistral. The physician joked that it was the most unique group he'd ever met because no one was having their periods. <laughs> After the war, a report called Medical Consideration of the Wasp reported that menstruation in properly selected women is not a handicap to flying or dependable performance of duty. It's unclear how or if this affected military policies moving forward. Oh, you know it did. All of these cases are questions of exclusion, says Vistral. If men are held up as the norm, then the assumption is you should be able to work all the time. And so there's a lot of pressure, either to have women cover and hide their periods and just keep moving, or to say, no, women are special and need rest and protection so that they can take care of their bodies and their periods. Vistral points out that the latest move by the company Coexist has a different tone to it than the previous policies. They're saying menstruation is normal. Some people have cramps. Let's not stigmatize this. We value our workers. Let's work around their bodies to help them be productive. That's a very different approach than saying, no, women are different. They need to be protected and we can't really trust them as workers. So maybe they shouldn't have this job. Even though they're offering a break or a rest, it doesn't seem like it's about trying to constrain women or limit them because of their bodies. Vistral says she hopes this marks a move toward more flexible work schedules that accommodate any health issues with which employees may be dealing. Both men and women's bodies have had to conform to an eight-hour day, she says. A lot of the issues about women either not being good workers or being absent has to do with this need to have a regularized work week and very strict lunch hour or break time. If that were more flexible, people could accommodate all kinds of different um, vagaries of their bodies. So yeah, women and men should both be able to go about their days equally. 
No shit. Another article. This is from the New York Times, July of this year, 2018. The average woman has her period for 2,535 days. 2,535 days of her life. That's nearly seven years' time of making sure that you have a pad or tampon, finding a makeshift solution if you don't, and managing pain and discomfort. And lately, women and transgender and non-binary people who menstruate are talking about it in public more than ever before. There are new products and services on the market, from menstrual cups to period underwear to medicinal cannabis and period coaches. Globally, advocates are pushing for recognition of a woman's right to manage her period with dignity. And in the United States, activists activists are bringing the concept of menstrual equity into the public debate. Let's unpack that. Menstrual equity refers to equal access to hygiene products, but also to education about reproductive health. And it's the focus of a variety of new laws and policies to provide menstrual products in prisons, shelters, schools, and even on Capitol Hill. Also, the homeless. The homeless have very limited access to cleaning themselves and even less access to reliable um, hygiene products. So if and when you decide that you want to donate, please consider socks. That is something that they need all the time. Underwear and also feminine hygiene products. And if you ever see a man out there and you have like a care package that has pads, give them to him because you know what? He'll trade that. He will trade that shit for something else that he needs and it'll get into a woman's hands. Okay. All right. So advocates are also urging states to exempt menstrual hygiene products from sales tax, arguing that they're a necessity. No fucking shit. Bleeding all over my pants is not something that should be considered a luxury to stop. Okay. A frequent refrain. Why are tampons taxed when Viagra is not? Increased media coverage and some high-profile episodes like Kieran Gandhi bleeding freely as she ran the London Marathon in 2015. Oh, I had said Boston Marathon. My mistake. London Marathon in 2015 and a backlash over Instagram deleting a photo of a period stain have accelerated the shift. Last month, a member of Britain's parliament announced in the House of Commons that she was menstruating to make a point about period poverty. A New York congressman recently got into a spat with House administrators over whether he could expense $37.16 worth of tampons for his staff and visitors. And India said on Saturday that it would implement a controversial 12% tax on sanitary pads after a campaign by advocacy groups and celebrities. Canada also abolished a sales tax on such products in 2015, and an Australian push to do the same made progress this year. I think it's in my notes, but Nevada was just the 10th state to abolish the tampon tax, as it's known, um, in the midterms. Here's an overview of the issues that women's health advocates are talking about. Laws in several states now mandate access to menstrual products in correctional facilities, shelters, and schools. Two prison reform bills in the Senate, including the First Step Act, which is backed by the White House, include provisions on access to menstrual hygiene products. 
after complaints that the facilities were not providing an adequate supply. Three a week is what this, the standard is. So 12 pads per month. That's like two heavy days of period. Oh, God, that's sad. Okay. So in the House, Representative Grace Meng, Democrat of New York, has introduced two related bills. One aims to make periods more affordable, in part by allowing employees to use flexible spending accounts to buy pads and tampons, and requiring companies with more than 100 employees to provide them. Holla. It's like fucking toilet paper. The other would require manufacturers to disclose ingredients in such products. Hell, yes, you have no idea the chemicals that you are shoving into your body, into your vagina. No different than if you were to ingest them in your mouth. You're shoving them into your body, and yet you don't know what you're shoving into your body. Lola, they're not a sponsor yet, but I love them. Um, so anyway... There is an effort by Grace out of New York to introduce legislation that would require companies um, to provide them, um, provide the products that is, and then also another bill that would, would require the manufacturers to disclose ingredients in such products, like formaldehyde, which is common. Interest in this issue grows every single day, says Ming, said Ming. It's really about accessibility and equity. That's the same argument that Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, Democrat of New York, made after he was ordered to reimburse the Committee on House Administration for Menstrual Products. The community rebutted the committee rebutted Mr. Maloney's account, but that didn't stop him and Mrs. Meng from writing a letter to House Speaker Paul Ryan about the matter. As a bleeding heart liberal, I am so fucking happy that we get to rip the gavel from his hands. I fucking hate you, Paul Ryan. You're disgusting. Put your shirt back on. Don't try to be funny. You reading your mean tweets just makes you look like a bigger douche than you are. Okay. We applaud you for making toilet paper available, they wrote. We implore you, however, to go one step further and make feminine hygiene products available to those that need them. Yeah, you hear that, Paul Ryan? No, you didn't. You didn't care. Pressing to end the tampon tax. In the last two years, New York, Illinois, Florida, and Connecticut have abolished sales tax on menstrual products. That brings the number of states that tax such products to 36. And lawmakers in two dozen of those states have introduced bills to nix the tax. Great first step. Let's start giving them away. I'm going to say that many times throughout this episode because it is crazy to me. The menstrual equity in health would be such a prominent bipartisan and very public matter, um, in my mind, not just really heartening, but enormously telling, said Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, author of the 2017 book, Periods Gone Public. There are similar efforts underway around the world, including in Britain, where the campaign to axe the tax got caught up in the Brexit debate. Laura Croyton, a young British activist, started a petition called Stop Taxing Periods in 2014 that amassed over 300,000 signatures. But lawmakers were unable to repeal the tax because of European Union rules, and it became a rallying point for the pro-Brexit camp. Lawmakers have pledged to abolish the tax once Brexit is complete. Until then, taxes from menstrual products are being put into a special fund for women's health. Canada also abolished sales tax on menstrual products in 2015, and in Australia, a push to do so has been made. Dr. Juanita 
Ann Banjo, the regional director of the United Nations Population Fund in East and Southern Africa, said there has been a groundswell of advocacy around menstrual health management. In May, the organization hosted the first regional symposium on the issue with leaders from local governments and from the nonprofit sector. Some countries in the region have made bold moves. Kenya and Uganda abolished sales tax on menstrual hygiene products, while Zimbabwe subsidizes local manufacturers. Good on you, Zimbabwe. The Kenyan government also provides fundings for pads in schools. Hell yeah. Kenya. That's great. But Dr. Anbinjano, God, I'm saying it wrong. Dr. Anna Bonjo. Caution that access to products is only one factor. Clean water and sanitation facilities, information and medical treatment are all important. Poverty, of course, greatly complicates the efforts to manage periods with discretion and dignity. And some symptoms like heavy bleeding or debilitating pain during menstruation can indicate a more serious condition requiring medical attention. I will circle back on my personal story about that. Girls and women around the world must also contend with cultural stigma, shame, and social isolation. A recent report published by Dr. Anna Bonjo's agency noted that there is powerful evidence that girls are more likely to miss school or even drop out if they're unable to manage their cycle, sometimes because of teasing over their periods. Even more troubling, studies in Kenya have found that poorer girls may trade sex for pads, making them vulnerable to sexually transmitted diseases. God, that's so much fucking worse than trading sex for drugs. We really want to ensure that going forward, this is seen as a sexual and reproductive health issue as in addition to a human rights issue. Can technical innovation solve the problem of periods? New products and services are promising to make periods less burdensome. From period tracking apps and coaching on nutrition and self-care to items like environmentally friendly reusable pads, absorbent underwear, and cups. The creator of the popular app Clue say they have 2.5 million users in 180 countries and share anonymized data with women's health researchers from top universities. Product developers are working on the next generation of devices. The creators of Livia, an electrical stimulation device touted as the off switch for menstrual pain, collected 1.7 million in orders on the crowdfunding site Indiegogo. I want that if it works. While some online reviewers found it helpful, many of the components of Indiegogo focus on shipping delays, device malfunctions, and customer service complaints. Ah, wah, wah. In the coaching realm, there's been a greater attention to the role that diet and exercise can play in one's period. Many coaches also suggest suggest acupuncture, herbal remedies, uh, meditation, and massage. If by herbal remedies you mean marijuana, I'm there. What I do is help women become more informed about how their bodies work, said Erica Chidi Cohen, co-founder and chief executive of Loom, a reproductive health center in Los Angeles that recently introduced a period coaching program. That includes being aware of hormonal changes throughout the month and how one's energy might ebb and flow at different points. Some of her clients plan big events like business trips based on their cycle. Yep, me too. It can actually be a very positive thing if we learn what's happening and lean into it, she said. So I never read comments on an article, but 
I made a point to check the New York Times comments and I selected the first two dissenting opinions. Charlie L., USA, July 23rd, so one day after publication. After reading through these comments, I'm just flabbergasted by the resentment women feel concerning their reproductive bodily functions and at the brilliance of some in politicizing nature and weaponizing their experiences. Is this what feminism has become? A forum for venting at nature, for not catering to you? A place to be angry at your ovaries, furious at the privilege of giving birth? Whew, you're fighting an uphill battle. Of course. Tax-free tampons. I'm all for it. But if anyone wants proof that feminism has run off the rails, just read through these comments. Thank you, Charlie L. That was fucking insightful. Okay. Micah, Phoenix, July 23rd. Tampons are used for an ordinary bodily function. People sweat. Can we all get deodorant tax-free? Our fingernails and toenails have to be trimmed. Can we get the scissors and tweezers and clippers tax-free? Our hair needs to be managed. Can we get shampoo and conditioner tax-free? The tampon tax argument is ridiculous, but because it doesn't cost much money, some politicians are doing a silly favor to convince women they're on their side. Necessary management of an ordinary body function is what we're talking about, and that kind of management has never been tax-free. I included these examples so that the eye rollers um, that have made it to this point, I guess, um, and still believe that gender inequity is exasperated when a woman without considerable means menstruates, I acknowledge you. I just think you're fucking dumb and you don't understand it at all. Yeah, we all sweat. You don't need to have deodorant. You won't have blood dripping from your armpits. Moot point. In recent years, I've seen a small push toward awareness of gender inequity specifically associated with menstruation. A few years ago, a woman that ran the Boston, oh, it was the London Marathon, um, and made the choice to free bleed. From my perspective, the media thought she was weird and told her story with that angle and then went on to churn out more news. She was forgotten. And then Instagram deleted the photo. And then there was some hubbub about that. They never put it back up. End of story. Then a couple of years ago, Madge the Vag, a character debuted on the internet. It's focused on the understanding of the vagina. It's comical, and yet it shows how misinformed people, particularly women, are of their own anatomy. And who do we have to blame, ladies? Society? Because having a period is taboo. Having a vagina is taboo, really. To be sure, the patriarchy is alive and well before puberty, but puberty puts boys and girls on divergent paths, and getting one period is a huge component. Why don't we treat tampons and pads like toilet paper? Like, we just all understand we don't want people to walk around with pee and poop on them. Why is it a luxury to not have blood all over? I'm yet to find an answer that doesn't loop back to patriarchy. This year... Just last week, in the midterm elections, Nevada became the 10th state to abolish the tampon tax. To be clear, women in Nevada still have to buy their luxury goods every month. They just won't have to pay tax. So, 
In Minnesota, I can probably get by with $10 a month on feminine hygiene products. I make the choice, because I'm fortunate enough to, to buy organic and chemical-free products, so I pay way more, at least $30 a month. I pay $30 a month more than any man just so that I have a safe way to stay clean and be able to go about my life somewhat normally. The crippling cramps. Well, we'll get there. Okay. Impromptu vagina monologue time. Hey, uh, vagina here. Ashley, you know how you're an hour from home and you have several more hours to work? Yes, vagina. Well, how about we start your period now? No, vagina. But you can check your bag. Yeah, yeah, I know what the fuck to do, vagina. I'll check my bag and fucking hope that I have a tampon or a pad in this diaper bag. Oh, I don't have one? Okay, I guess I can cut a diaper in half. Or I can shove a bunch of toilet paper in my underwear and get the fuck out. Cancel the rest of my day and go home. Vagina. Why do you have to be so dramatic? It's like a quarter cup of blood and uterine lining. No big deal. Vagina, you are a cunt. Shut up. I got this. I'm just happy that... Oh, fuck you, cramps. Why the hell do you have to be such an asshole? Do I need to poop? Is this just the egg beater shedding my uterine lining? Oh, both? Great. Hey, cramps. Why are you making me so nauseous? And why do you have to bring headache along? I'll grab the heating pad. Now, that's my entitled, inconvenient experience with my period in a nutshell. It's a nuisance, to be sure. But it also costs a lot of money. It's also taken me out of the workforce many times for bad periods and for surgeries to address period-related medical issues. So, if my white, entitled, middle-class ass is inconvenienced regularly by my period, I can only imagine how debilitating it is for those with fewer means. Because our vaginas, and by extension our periods, are taboo, society precludes us from saying, Look, boss, clients, tiny humans, my uterus is trying to slowly kill me. I need to take a break from my regular routine routine for a day or two. We're in this place where if we as women are recognized as having different biological needs, then we're not allowed to be seen as equal. And conversely, if we want to be seen as true equals, then we just need to deal with our periods however that looks and have no special treatment. So, we don't have movement on this issue and why. What purpose does it serve to keep women in this tough spot? Well, patriarchy, of course. Many women rely on men for their products, as they rely on men for many other things, access to health care. Or they make the choice to leave school, 23% of Indian girls that reach puberty. Or they skip eating for a day or two so that they can clean and attend work school. Why do we want women to keep making such huge sacrifices just to accommodate the natural biology of our bodies? Oppression of menstruating women happens to benefit men greatly. Is that a surprise? Not to me, but I've been on the mission to burn patriarchy to the ground for years now. Now, I personally have endometriosis and PCOS, which makes my period even more painful than normal painful periods. I've had two kids and four miscarriages. My uterus is a nuisance more than it is a quiet organ just chilling. That said, I watched the midterm results roll in like it was the fucking Super Bowl. At about 11.30, before California had been announced, it wasn't looking good. I went into a wine-assisted anxiety spiral about my pre-existing conditions booting me from insurance. So, my wise bottle of wine deep 
self called my OBGYN and left a message like, hey, Dr. Blank, my uterus is being a real bitch. Can I get a hysterectomy? And on and on it went. Then I totally forgot about said message. Then my doctor called me the next day and it all came flooding back to me now. Or something like that. The message she left was super cute. Why am I telling this story? My period is so debilitating that I am seriously considering having my entire uterus removed, knowing the immediate consequences, just so I don't get knocked out every few weeks. I live in America, and these are my options. I can't even begin to imagine what the 23% of Indian girls do to survive. And shouldn't we want more than just survival anyway? I know I want to thrive, and I'm fortunate enough to have the means to go through the different options to make me well. Until then, I'll be wearing a pad every damn day. Oh, and I use Lola. They're not a sponsor yet, but I really do enjoy their products. Hint, hint. As I said, I went really light on facts on this episode because, frankly, there's a fantastic book coming out soon. It's called Period Power. It will cover everything I've said and so much more. It charts a path from puberty to lack of representation in government, all because a period derails women in so many different ways throughout their lives. I highly recommend you check out this book. It should be coming soon. Again, it's called Period Power. Also, check out period.org regarding options to advocate, donate, or just to learn more. To close out this episode, I selected an exchange that I think sums up my feelings nicely. President Barack Obama said the existence of a luxury goods tax placed on feminine sanitary products like tampons and pads is likely due to the fact that men wrote the laws. YouTube personality Ingrid Nielsen asked President Obama why tampons were even considered luxury goods, because few of the women she knows would consider menstruation a luxury. I think Michelle would agree with you on that, he said. I have to tell you, I have no idea why states would tax these as luxury items, Obama said. I suspect it's because men were making the laws when those taxes were passed. Obama said it's pretty sensible for women in the 40 states where the items are taxed as luxury items to work on getting that changed. Because they're state taxes, it will take action on a local level to get things changed. So, men made the taxes because women weren't in power, in large part due to gender inequity, which in large part is due to lack of access to feminine hygiene products. Thanks, Obama. I said that jokingly. Love Obama. He was a real president. Now we have that Oompa Loompa. Okay. Thank you for listening to this vagina-centric episode of Taboo and Murder. The vagina isn't taboo. Let's stop treating it like it is. I'm looking at you, teenage cashier at Target that dropped my box of tamp- tampons like a hot potato. It's just cotton that I will eventually put in my vagina. For now, it's a cardboard box, Carl. Please subscribe rate and review on iTunes or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Okay, so there was some confusion when I tried to do my fast math. Um, Essentially, in India, every year, 23% of the females um, that start menstruating drop out of school, which is actually somewhere between about 10 million and 11.5 million. I hope that clarifies things. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening.